here's to courageous pioneers who understand a legacy is multifaceted. Welcome to our Legacy Planning Podcast, a podcast for leaders and visionaries of all ages. Whether you are an independent entrepreneur or someone who is part of a family business, you too can leave something of value behind for a greater purpose. Perhaps your legacy will improve workplace cultures, seize authentic moments, or inspire others with your talent. Your host, Angelina Carlton, is the founder of Design Your Legacy, a boutique advisory firm based in Beverly Hills, California. She is a mentor and coach to leaders like you and has contributed to Alliance, a philanthropy magazine, as well as to women in family business. She has been recognized by Los Angeles Biz as an LA woman of influence, as well as by World HRD Congress for her work. Remember, you deserve great coaching because your legacy is worth completing. Welcome, everyone. I'm Angelina Carlton, hostess of the Design Your Legacy podcast, where I look to distill the best practices, positive examples in action, and the best ideas to inspire you. As today's affluent are two-thirds self-made, I hope to invite a variety of guests from many walks of life and income levels to bring you their insights and experiences. These guests range from family office professionals, Hollywood directors, and those in Generation Z, as they each contribute their thought leadership to this subject of legacy. I hope to provide interesting guests who challenge your beliefs with their strong bias towards optimism in how you too can value your life time, and personal legacy. This morning, I have the pleasure of introducing uh, Ryan Ray Harvuck. A paralyzing car accident in her teens left Ryan with a new life to build. Rarely looking back, she became a swim coach and a high school teacher. She traveled to India for experimental stem cell treatment. She fought hard to make the Paralympic swim team, and she even became a mom. With so many stories to tell and lessons to learn, Ryan did the only thing she could. She wrote a book. Welcome, Ryan. Hi, it's great to have you or to be here today, actually. <laughs> Thank you very much for accepting my invitation. I think that you are incredibly courageous, and I appreciate the honesty and authenticity uh, when we have spoken before about you know, how you faced uh, that moment in time which we'll, we'll talk about briefly in, in the next so many minutes, and as well as how you rebuilt afterwards, which I think is the most important part of the story, because a lot of the times I mentioned we can see athletes or celebrities have like that comeback, whether that's Tiger Woods or Mariah Carey or some, some public figure, but we rarely get to have the insight to understand how it built the person, how it built their character, and um, yep, we don't get to see the hours in the locker room, so to say, so to speak. Right. Totally. Okay. So is there anything I may have missed that you would like to share with the listeners or the viewers? Um, at this point, um, I am just really excited about my memoir that is coming out um, in about a month. And, um, and so it's something that I've been working on for about a dozen years. And um, obviously through that, the course of that, the stories have changed and, and the chapters have changed and it's been a real long hole, but haul, but it's been really, really exciting. Um, it's been very, very reflective. And so that's something that I'm really looking forward to in the upcoming future. Very good. Very good. I know it definitely takes a leap of faith to be able to go into that reverie and reflection and look into the past and be able to process it a second time. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. sure. And, Tough stuff. And, <laughs> yeah, 
And all of a sudden I've, I've worked so hard on this and all of a sudden it's getting so close. I'm like, wait a minute, people are going to know about me. <laughs> and we're going to talk in, in, in a moment about the power of vulnerabilities, but to start, uh, my first question is what advice would you give to other people to overcome challenges? So I think that probably the most important thing to really consider and to really focus on is your own perspective of your world. Um, and the way, so the way that you view your life, the way that you view the world outside of your window, that's exactly what your reality becomes. And so if you look outside and, and you look outside of yourself and you think that things are really, really grim, then they absolutely are. Okay. And if you look and you see the beauty in the little things and they, you know, ignite something that makes you want to continue on, then, then that's what your life actually is. And so I think that that's probably the biggest take home um, for overcoming challenges. I think alongside that, um, learning from your past and then letting go so that you can continue to move forward because that, that forward motion, that's inevitable. That's important. You, you you must continue on in order to grow. Absolutely. Compared to staying frozen in time, stuck, which some people, as we had talked about before, especially during this pandemic, they can, for a variety of reasons, uh, either go backwards in regressive behavior or uh, they can choose to become super creative and keep moving forward. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Well, I appreciated your optimism again because you had a, uh, you had made a decision in high school that you were going to continue swimming and you were not going to let this stop you. Right. Yeah. I, I was in a car accident when I was 16. So it was my junior year of high school. And, um, yes, this is the backstory. I, I, um, it was the night of a school dance. It was a big deal. There were six kids in, in our car and, we were driving down the highway and somehow the driver lost control of the car and the car ended up crossing the grass median and hitting the oncoming traffic. And so everybody was hurt instantly. There were two fatalities. In fact, I, um, I flew out of the car and I um, injured my spinal cord, which is how I became paralyzed. Um, I'm paralyzed from about uh, the sternum down, my chest level down. And um, yeah. And so I missed the rest of my junior year, just trying to stay alive in the hospital. Um, and so when I went back to school, I went back to school and it was my senior year. I had missed a huge portion of that growth and the development that a normal teenager goes through. So, yeah, I also wanted to highlight that uh, before I move on to the second question that I found it interesting that in the memory you remembered like the day before and then like the week after, but for whatever reason, that week, it was like your mind just took out the memories. Yeah. And so I, I think for one, it makes it very easy to talk about because everything <laughs> I'm telling you is just a story that I've heard you know, other people I, say, or absolutely. And I think because of that, um, my brain has saved me a little bit from some extra trauma that I could be experienced still experiencing still today. Um, and so I am kind of fortunate for that memory loss. Um, you know, your, your brain does protect you um, when it needs to so that you can move on, you can continue and, and see the world 
for wonderful things that it has for you. Yeah. Yeah. And so I might say that it's like, it, it, it removed the heartache because it, you just started to like move forward. You're like, Hey, I'm 16 and I'm just going to go back to swimming and I'm not going to feel sorry for myself. And I have no recollection. So let's just keep right. going. Well, and it put a, it put a, a big, a big stopping point in the middle of my life. And so if it, um, enabled me to separate my life before my accident and then my life afterwards. And I think initially that was really important because I think, um, if I focus too hard on what I had lost, I think that it could have put me in a very bad place. And so I think that um, just having that that blankness of that week that I don't recall, it gave it was it gave me the ability to really separate my life before my accident and then my life afterwards. Yeah, which is, is also really good because sometimes when people become traumatized, they can have a peptide addiction where they'll relive it fifty thousand times. Yeah. 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 I wanted to bring that up. And I also wanted to bring up um, the, uh, before I move on to second, the second question that your optimistic attitude, you were like, you know, I'm young enough and I can just, you know, I'm 16 and I can just keep swimming and I'm just going to keep building my life because in sports, you were taught if you were given a challenge, you could just work through the challenge and achieve whatever you set your mind to. So how was this any different? Right. I mean, just like any sport, if you practice and you continue to practice, you get better. <laughs> yeah. I just think it's wonderful because you were almost in a sense, um, given a, a, a set of skills, a toolkit to then, uh, be able to persevere. So, so speaking of perseverance, sure. what would you say your superpowers are that propelled you forward? So I think, um, I, I think I kind of, Thought about this question as two parts. Um, what were my superpowers initially to sort of rise above this traumatic event in my life? And then I would also argue that that's different than today. And so I think initially when I had my accident and was recovering and, and sort of relearning um, how to do everything, I think that my innocence and my um, sort of naivete was actually a really positive aspect for myself because there wasn't a lot of um, I didn't have a lot of things that kind of kept me down. I was just wanting to hang out with my friends. And I just wanted to, like you said, like do my sport and I wanted to practice. So I was going to practice being in a wheelchair and get better at that. Um, and, and, and I just want to intrude for a second and say that one of the things I found the most amazing is the fact that you are still in connection with those individuals. Like you had described it. It's almost like a spiritual family that you could just drop into their lives and them into your life because you're forever, uh, you know, you share a bond, but it's now built in love and connection. Yeah. So all of the, the, my friends that were in the accident with, I mean, it's been, it's probably been a couple of years since I've really connected truly with any of them, but that doesn't feel like they're not in my life. Um, and, you know, I mentioned to you the other day that if I needed anything at all from any one of them, they would drop whatever they were doing and, and help me out. And I would do the exact same for them. And we all know that, and it's never been something that we needed to speak about or anything like that. It's like a, a little built-in family that we didn't necessarily sign up for, but that's what, that's what we became. Lovely. Okay. So you had mentioned your youth perspective a moment ago. Would yeah. you talk to me further about it? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that when my accident happened, um, I said I was 16. Okay. And so that, that's a time in your life when you are really, um, I think you're just really set on 
trying to be the best you you can while also trying to be like everyone else. And I think that that was, um, you know, that's something that I think often people talk about as being not a great feature, not a great thing for um, people to be or want to strive for. But I think that that actually really helped me. And because um, all of a sudden I was different than everybody and I knew it. And I knew that there were, I was going to stick out when I walked back into a classroom or into the swimming pool. But I left and I made sure that my focus was on, was just like, I want to go hang out with my friends on a Friday night, or I want to go and cheer for my friends while they're, while they're swimming. And, and so I didn't really take a lot of time to dwell on what had happened because I just wanted to get back to where I was. And I didn't really spend a lot of time thinking that there was any other way. <laughs> yeah. Let's get back to normal. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting also because uh, what we focus on magnifies. So if you focused on, let me just get back to the routine that was before, then you weren't going to dwell on, you know, something that had changed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, after we spoke the other, the other day, I, um, I went for a walk around our neighborhood and um, I was kind of thinking about what we had talked about. And um, one thing I, I walked by the school playground and there were a bunch of kids, a group of kids playing soccer outside. And I, and they were probably first grade, second grade. And I watched a kid with his shoelaces untied, look down and notice his shoelace was untied and then ask his friend next to him to tie his shoelace. And so the friend knelt down and tied his shoelace. You know, there was no judgment, no shame, nothing. And that really like stuck with me because it was like, wow, we learn to be afraid. We learn to be guilty. We learn to be shameful. And, you know, and, and those are all things I think that that really, you know, even though I was, I was 16 when my accident happened, a lot of those, those really dark feelings hadn't ever existed in my life. And so they didn't have a place. Which I think is just so marvelous. (laughs) I'm very lucky. (laughs) Yeah. Because if you could keep building and the momentum was at your back, then you know, you would just go from strength to strength to strength and what you have. And we'll get into that. But I just, uh, I just think that part is so marvelous because we can choose to approach uh, when tragedy happens or a trauma happens any way we choose. And a lot of the times, um, well, this is like a coaching expression. We can choose to go into the what's wrong conversation before we go into the what's wanting to happen. It was like, you just skipped what's wrong and went right into what's wanting to happen. And you're like, let's get the show on the road and let's get back to normal. And you're back in the pool swimming. And yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I went out after I got out of the hospital, um, I had been in the hospital for about four months, you know, a month in ICU, a month in a multi-trauma unit. And then um, the rest of the time was a rehab facility, really kind of learning what my life was going to be like. I got home and it was summer. And the first thing I wanted to do, do was go to the pool. And the second thing I wanted to do was get my driver's license again. Like that was, that was what my focus was. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, that's awesome because um, it's just those things that we look forward to that make us wake up in the morning and still strive. And so if you, and if, so if you said in your mind, I got to go get that driver's license and do, you know, 25 laps, then that was what was driving you. It wasn't going to be depression or self-pity or wallowing in, you know, you know, they, they always say we can look at the glass as half full or half empty to you. It was, you know, half full. Mm-hmm. I got things I got to get done. Let's, let's yeah. get on with it. Right. Like, exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
which is beautiful. And I think that, you know, one of the things I, and I've mentioned this in the, in the introduction um, is I like to bring on positive role models because positive role models aren't just the people we might see in mainstream media or people that are billionaires per se. It is, you know, ordinary people that are choosing to do extraordinary things based on the circumstances that are brought to them. And also the fact that you've chosen to be kind. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So speaking of coaching, I presume you had some good swim coaches. What did they do or what did they do right? And what did they say that assisted you, you know, in your life? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I think I've always been surrounded by really great coaches, um, and teachers. And, um, I know that they always saw a huge potential in me and would push me towards being my very best. And before my accident, I really shied away from that. And I really, really fought it um, a lot to the point where I would have a swim coach take me from one lane and put me in another lane because it was better swimmers, harder intervals. And it really- They were pushing you outside your comfort zone. Were and <laughs> my way back into the slower lane where I was comfortable. Yeah. And before my accident, I didn't realize it and I didn't really understand it. And I was like, man, that swim coach is really mean to me. And it he was moving, he was moving the goalposts. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that my accident really helped me sort of understand, oh shoot, like he was giving me a huge opportunity. And I wasn't brave enough to accept it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you, you know, one of those things that everybody hates is regret. And um, that was like my first taste of regret was after my accident, after I was back in the pool, you know, swimming wasn't the same. It, okay. was, it was still swimming and I enjoyed it. And, uh, and it really helped push me into a better space. But it was also, I was the slowest kid on the team all of a sudden. And, oh. and I couldn't, you know, compete the way that I once had. And so that first feeling that I think that I probably ever felt of that regret of like, why didn't I push myself more? Why didn't I, you know, challenge myself with those, you know, more elite swimmers and, and feel like I was worthy of being there. And so I think that that was a huge lesson for me early on. And I took that with me when I started coaching, I started coaching pretty early on. I've been coaching for over 20 years at this point. You were trained to win. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And then it showed up in other places in your life. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so I think that like, I think I actually became a really good swim coach because I always looked out for those things. I looked out for those kids that were afraid to push themselves or afraid of of failing. And, um, I felt like I could have a stronger connection to where they didn't just think I was a mean swim coach, putting them in a higher lane, <laughs> a conversation with them. Like, Hey, I think you're a really great swimmer. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes if, um, somebody doesn't have the reference point to knowing that the intention of the coach is to elevate their potential, they can get a little bit, uh, bent out of shape that you're challenging them, Absolutely. which is actually, which is actually very healthy. I, I saw a quote the other day that said, if you want to get good at something, get a coach. I don't remember who said it. Uh, maybe it was a TED talk. Anyways, I thought how brilliant that is. And, and what's interesting is a lot of the times when uh, we have a coach in sports, like I played softball and soccer growing up, and I was also in gymnastics. And um, I just thought about 
uh, later, you know, those lessons, um, you know, show up in other areas of our life, not just like the mat or the field or the, the baseball diamond or softball diamond. Absolutely. That was going to be my second point about swimming is beyond just having great coaches, swimming is a sport that teaches you so much because, and so being an individual sport, you really have to learn to, you know, blame yourself. If something doesn't go right, your time isn't what you want it to be. That's, that's your time. Yeah, that's on you. (laughs) In the field that you could blame. And, you know, and likewise, like, I think that um, I have always kind of joked that swimmings or swimmers are a little bit insane because they're willing to be by themselves, not talking to anybody, staring at the bottom of the pool, going back and forth for hours. And so there's a, there's this like really, really important discipline that you learn as a swimmer and, okay. and being a little bit more mindful of, you know, yourself and your, I mean, you're sitting there in the pool by yourself pushing yourself. And so you have to learn to have like really healthy self-talk or you're not going to make it. Yeah. It becomes a really, you know, at least for me, it's always been a really meditative experience. You know, even when I'm pushing myself and I feel like junk, like there's still that breathe in, breathe out quality of it. And breathing is is such a tool when it, when it comes to growing and healing, like breath work, whether it's, um, you know, special forces in the United States military, or it's uh, uh, Native Americans talking about breath work. I want to circle back for a moment about the self-talk. So what, uh, and I know this is a kind of a spontaneous question, but it's an easy one. <laughs> um, what would you say are, is some of the self-talk that's positive that has happened in you and, or is happening still present day in you? Oh, that's great. And these, these are all things that I sort of, um, reflected on and realized while I was writing my book is there was a lot of instances and there have been, and there will continue to be a lot of instances in my life where I've had to make the world stop for a second so that I can actually think about what's happening. How am I reacting to it? Why am I reacting that way? And there's a lot of times in my book where I actually um, talk about freezing time. And clearly it's, it, that's not happening. It's a memoir. It's a, you know, I didn't freeze time, but, but but for me, there's been a lot of, of it doesn't have a time machine. Go ahead. <laughs> a lot of challenges to where it was like, wait a minute, this is too much for me. And realizing that and then stopping and making myself not go any further until it's not too much. And, and realizing that there really isn't anything that's too much to handle. You know, I've always pressed restart on, on that frozen time machine thing I've got and, and been able to work through whatever challenge I was facing at that moment. So maybe we could say the self-talk could be like, I have permission to slow down. Right. I have permission, permission to slow down and, and figure this out because it's not too much. Yeah. Powerful. Uh, Would you say that those are still some of the same messages today in terms of positive self-talk or is that, is it different today? Has it changed today? No, I think that, I think that that's something that's going to stay with me. Okay. Um, I, you know, I think that there are lots of instances, um, probably in everybody's life where if they may have taken a moment to just step back, then they may have reacted differently. They may have chosen a different path of different answer, a different, you know, and, and I think that giving yourself the freedom to actually 
take a moment for yourself, I think is really valuable and it's totally okay. <laughs> yeah. So maybe, and I, and I know I'm breaking this down for the listener or the viewer. Um, second message could be, it's okay if I take a moment for myself. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, um, the next question I wanted to ask has to do with vulnerabilities. And, you know, it's interesting. I just want to say this bit of a preface before this question. I was listening to something uh, the other day regarding Tony Robbins, and he was talking about how vulnerabilities are powerful because they can connect us with um, higher truths around, around love and connection compared to being driven by significance. But a lot of times we are afraid to be vulnerable uh, because we can oftentimes, even women can become masculine. They can put up the brick wall or the shield and the power is actually in being vulnerable. And I thought, whew, that's an interesting concept. <laughs> no, and that is something that I, I, it was like, I magically found it out as I was reading through all of the words in my book. Okay. It was like, uh, it was like this like magic epiphany that all of a sudden I realized that all of these stories that I had compiled and thought were important enough to, to write down, they all centered around the same thing. And they all centered around me finding my true strengths in the middle of my most horrid, terrible, tumultuous, vulnerable moments of my life. Yeah. And I, and I remember you had said something to me that it was very hard sometimes to ask for help because like, you were like, I can do it on my own. And maybe that a part of that could come from swimming. Like I can do this on my own. Like, this is all me solo in the pool. And now you realized, oh my gosh, I have to ask for help. Right. Right. And that was something that very early on, that was one of my biggest struggles after my accident was realizing that, you know, I go to the grocery store and I need the milk that's on the top shelf. Like the only thing that I'm going to be able to do to get that milk is go and ask somebody to grab it for me. And that's, I will fully admit that that is still a challenge for me today. There are moments when I come home from the grocery store and my husband says, where's the milk? And I said, well, I couldn't reach it. <laughs> wow. See, and I just want to uh, point a flashlight at, at a couple of things right there. The first being is that you have to learn a skill set or a confidence that it's, you know, okay to ask for help. And there's probably like a hundred different flavors in asking for help. Yes, right. Absolutely. And like, that's in all the nuances. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, <laughs> And that just sort of like swallowing and being okay with it and being, you know, at peace with yourself. It doesn't mean anything about your character or who you are as a person or a mother. And yeah, and that is a really big challenge still today. And I will fully admit that. What, what do you think the fear is? Is it that somebody is going to turn around and say, no, I won't help you get the milk? Or is it like you just said, being judged? I, well, I think it's, I think it's my own insecurity of my independence. Ah. I think that, you know, being paralyzed at 16, I think that that took, no matter how strong I was and no matter how much I wanted to move forward, that took some of my independence away. And, ah. and there are things to still, you know, there are obviously things um, that my life is challenging being in a wheelchair. And there are times I have a seven-year-old that I have to ask my seven-year-old to grab something for me or to do okay. something for me. Okay. And that's, that's really hard for me to do. Okay. That's a big challenge for me. Um, and I think that um, the more that I focus on 
the growth that both myself and my son can have in that opportunity. I think that I let it, I let it happen because I think that um, my son is learning something just as much as I am. Yeah, I think it builds probably a sense of sensitivity into your son. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that he will be more aware of compared to having like a blind spot. Yeah. yeah. Is, is it also hard because then you need people? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, I'm a, I think innately I am very stubborn. I think I was that way before my accident. I don't think that that is anything that, you know, was ignited um, from my car accident. And, but, and so I think that just the fact that like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it by myself. I might have to do it differently. It might take longer. Um, You know, those are some of the lessons that I learned, you know, over the years of just being in a wheelchair is like, oftentimes I can still do the same thing that you can do, but it's not going to be pretty and it's not going to be quick. (laughs) Yeah. Well, kudos to you for um, evolving compared to, you know, there's a metaphor in between like the willow tree and the oak tree. And there's sometimes we have to learn new skill sets because if we stay, you know, prideful, like the oak tree, it could break us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm sure you have a new appreciation of like those little things that might take you longer, but yet it, it also might bond you to your children and to your husband now that, you know, that it's, it becomes, I think, a shared experience. Right. And it goes back to that perspective of how you're looking at it. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. Um, any other things that uh, you needed to uh, make peace with and evolving? Well, I think that um, I enjoyed how you asked about making peace with my vulnerabilities because I think that I, I don't think that I ever made peace with them per se. I think that I, <laughs> I raced those vulnerabilities because nobody, nobody likes how you feel when you're at your most vulnerable moment or you feel helpless. Uh, you feel helpless. You feel yeah. on, on the edge of something. And so I don't know that I've ever made peace with that emotion, but I actually have learned to really embrace it because I know that there's a lot of power within that. Okay. Can you speak to the power for a second? And then I'll move on to the next yeah. question. Like, like, because this is, this is like the magical stuff. And it's like, unless we ask, we have no idea. Like not yeah. just what it is to, to, you know, to be in your, your footsteps and to have lived, you know, what you've lived since age 16 and mm-hmm. I, and you're, you know, in your forties now. So it's, it's been some time, you know, it wasn't just like yesterday, but still it's like, yeah, there, I think this is the nuances of the, the deep stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, and I, I mean, I think that your vulnerabilities, even just like on the most basic level of, you know, say you're um, wanting to apply for a job or something okay. like that. Like, like there, are, there's vulnerabilities within that, um, you know, actually going to, uh, you know, fill out the application, put your name out there and your qualities and why I deserve this, you know, and then, and then doing it, once okay. you really hand that application in or go to that interview, like that's where, that's where that power is. And as gross as that, as you may feel like, you know, those butterflies and the nerves and all that stuff, like that's where your power is because you're actually telling the world that I deserve this. I am good enough for this position that I want in my life, in my world. And I'm going to go and try my best to achieve that. I think you're referring to trusting yourself. Yeah, that, that is a big piece of it. Yeah. Um, and just, and trusting yourself enough to take a leap that feels really uncomfortable. <laughs> well, I think it's like, if you, uh, 
believe it and have certainty, it invites others to also believe and have certainty because you've taken the leadership step. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, not to totally like cycle back, but that was something that I learned really early on too, is, is if I felt okay about being in a wheelchair and I felt okay about being paralyzed and showed that to the world, then everybody else was okay with it too. And that was something that I had to learn really early on as well. Yeah. You mentioned something to me and I, and I don't think I put this in, in the, the questions, but uh, you had to get good at telling other people you were okay, showing them that you were okay. And I thought, wow, like I also thought about it after we, we spoke and I, I thought, you know, I would have never thought that that would have been important because there are people that, um, you know, expect other people to read their minds and, and you didn't have that as like a luxury. You were like, okay, I have to, I have to step up and be extra communicative. Well, and I'm sure that I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I am sure that there were many instances initially where I learned that. Well, actually, I can, th- I can think of something. I can think of going to the mall the first time after my accident and being in a store and wondering why the store owner thought I was deaf, you know, just talking to me really loud and, and using a lot of hand gestures. And it was like, what? <laughs> what was the problem? And it was like, oh, well, they need, you know, I need to show them that, like, I don't need that. Like, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm fine. And, and, you know, and so just little silly things like that yeah, along the way of, you know, kind of contribute to a really big journey of, you know, I'm okay. And let me show you. Yeah. I think that's really profound. I'm sure the uh, store owner meant well, but sure, uh, yeah, but it's like, you almost have to like, yeah, reset some type of definition regarding maybe a perception that they have and then reality, real life. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm sure once she did break the ice, then they probably calmed down. Absolutely. And yeah. that, that was part of the learning too. It was like, oh, if I can just communicate with this individual and show them that I'm just a silly 16 year old. Yeah. And they'll react accordingly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> People do the silliest things and they don't probably even realize it that right. moment. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And the metaphor of being a good sport. Yeah. I think you had to, you probably had to be a good sport in many of those times in the capacity for patients to. Yeah. yeah. Well, there was, so there's actually, I have a chapter in my book and it's called the recipe for my acceptance of your acceptance of accepting me. Oh yeah. Huge piece of all of this puzzle is just, is just realizing um, that there was, there was a lot of acceptance that I was going to have to hold on my part towards the rest of the world. Um, and that's been a huge piece of just sort of my growth as well. Yeah. And I would have to think that it, it, tell me if this is true or not, did it develop a sense of humor in you? I think, yes, I think so. And, and I think that, um, it, that that's like a defense mechanism, you know, okay. where it was like, if I, if I can't find just like the folly in this, then it's just going to make me upset. And so there's no reason for that. Yeah. I, I would almost wonder if, if it, there's a part of you that's like, oh, here we go again. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, something kind of reflective not too long ago, somebody stopped me out in the street and, the, and they, the, all they said was, can I ask you a question? And that was the first time I realized that I get asked that all the time. And I knew exactly what this woman was going to ask me. And she was okay. why I was in a wheelchair. Um, but I, it made me start to wonder you know, do, do other people have that where, you know, do other people get stopped on the street all the time and say, may I ask you a question or can I ask yeah. you? 
And, you know, and so it was, you know, it was kind of like in my head, okay, here we go again. <laughs> well, I appreciate that you do have a positive sense of humor compared to dry sarcasm, like, oh, here they come. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I also remember you had mentioned that um, there was a, like a grandmother, and I think you were dropping off or picking up one of your uh, children at school and the grandmother had walked up to you and said like, you know, you were so inspiring. And then they just walked away. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. And it's, I, have learned to embrace that from people. Um, I think that initially hearing things like that um, would make me upset. Okay. Like, what am I doing? I'm just sitting here waiting for my child, you know, I'm not even doing anything. Um, And through my life, I've heard that I'm inspiring or inspirational so many times. And um, and I don't wanna discredit any of them, but Mm -hmm. Um, it's, I think it's hard and I'll be very honest. It's hard to not go to a place where it's like, well, dang it, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> like, don't, don't compliment me for getting out of bed. Like that's, that's, you know, the least of my worries today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it, it, it makes you wonder kind of like, is there a message underneath of like, like maybe you have it harder, you know? And, and yet, yeah. So I think it's wonderful that you're writing a book because I think it opens up a conversation of like, Hey, I'm still human. I, I still worry about my checkbook and saber tooth tigers at the door and modern day, you know, problems. It's not like, you know, that you live in like an alternate universe per se completely. It's yeah. It's yeah. Although you could also have a sense of humor and say that you offer autographs for. <laughs> sure. Well, I, I think it's hard because I think it's hard to feel um, unease or uncomfortable or upset at somebody that's very clearly just trying to compliment you and make you feel good for the day and it and I've always sort of struggled with with that um this feeling kind of icky about somebody who's going out of their way to try to make me feel special is is that the receiving the compliment part or what is it I think it's the receiving the compliment and the fact that it's uh you know sort of like a I guess just like a very airy comment of like, well, what am I doing? That's, you know, if, if I'm sitting there holding a building up and yeah, putting out a fire with my other hand, sure, you are totally welcome to tell me that I'm being inspiring at that point. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if, if I'm not outwardly doing anything other than getting out of bed, you know, what, what makes me so special? And I think, um, you know, that is definitely something that I have struggled with throughout my life as a paraplegic um, and just doing all the normal daily things that I don't consider inspiring. But, you know, I think too, as I'm, you know, getting ready to publish my book and doing podcasts and things like this, I think that it's actually given me a little bit of an insight to, okay, maybe I am different. Maybe I am doing things that other people wouldn't do. And, you know, my ordinary life may not be ordinary to others. And, mm-hmm. and, so, and so I think that I've cracked the door open just a little bit on the fact that maybe I'm not as ordinary as I've tried to be my whole life. <laughs> yeah. I think there's also part of it because uh, uh, around like it, it can be, um, you know, people, humans like to conserve calories. That's how they're hardwired. They like to choose the, the easy option. And but you're not feeling sorry for yourself. You're not showing up depressed. And you're like, I am going to have my kids. I'm going to get married. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to, 
you know, go grocery shopping and reach for the milk. And, you know, it, there's nothing, I, and I, I, maybe that's the part that's inspirational because, you know, if we look out in society, um, ooh, some of the statistics out there, and, and I'm not saying that those individuals don't have a right to feel sorry for themselves that they haven't been victimized or had some type of tragedy brought onto their life. I just think that when somebody decides that they're going to be the hero of their life, and now you're writing a book, which also makes you a guide, I think that that changes not just the conversation, it changes the energy regarding what's possible. Because like maybe that grandmother went home then and was like, well, maybe I can't, you know, you know, you know, whatever wound she might've had, maybe she finally said, you know what, I'm going to pull up my bootstraps and yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that's why I sort of always smiled and, and went on. And gracious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, in what ways, or how did you come to terms with the accident? And I know this might be a, a kind of, you know, we can always skip this question if it's too much. Oh, no, not, not at all. Um, I think that, you know, very early on, I just saw it as what it was, which was an accident. You know, an accident is not caused by anything intentional. And I didn't put blame on anybody or anything or any instance. Um, and I think I also really strongly adopted the everything happens for a reason mantra. And I think that that was a, initially, I think that that was just a really good way for me to cope with what had happened to me and to everybody else that, you know, this was going to happen no matter what. And I didn't have, you know, any peace in keeping it from me. I didn't have, you know, this was, this was going to be my path. And, and I think that that has really helped me in a lot of ways, just sort of be able to continue to move forward. If I, if this was the path that, that was going to be laid out for me always, then I was just going to hold my head up high and continue on down it and not look back. Yeah, that's great. So you didn't shake your fist at God. Right. (laughs) You know, for whatever reason in my life, I haven't had a lot of those like, what was me? Why is this happening to me? moments because I, I knew that that wasn't useful. And, you know, of course, like, I'm sure there were moments like where I fell out of my chair and I was like, Oh, this sucks. Why, why is this happening to me? But I I just maybe want to point the flashlight for a moment. I think there were times when you may have been consumed with frustration, but I don't see that you got consumed with anger. That's true. There was not. Yeah. I would say that there, you know, have been very fleeting moments of anger about, about my accident or my wheelchair or being paralyzed there's been you know because that that, I I just like I feel like my body doesn't have a place for that my which is I just want to also just point to sports again I think that your swim coaches did an amazing job because they just they they made you goal oriented Mm -hmm. yeah and, yeah. and and so that competitive nature kicks in and you're like it's not about even if you're going to be good it's like how, how can you be better? That's the question I feel like you're asking yourself in the positive self-talk. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful. Okay. So is there anyone you are mentoring right now or who would you like to mentor? So I love this question because it, it, it made me think about, well, shoot, maybe I, I'm not doing as much as I should be right now. Because okay, I just up the ante. <laughs> That's great. I, I would say that there's nobody that I'm actively mentoring right now. Um, but I do think, uh, I mean, other than my children, obviously, I think that that's being a, being a parent is you're constantly mentoring, whether you want to or not. Um, but I think that my, throughout my whole life, I've chosen 
um, careers and jobs that are like little segues into mentoring. And so I taught high school biology for nine years. I've coached for over 20 years. And those are all really, really fantastic avenues for being able to um, mentor and help and coach and, you know, just offer what is, you know, what you have found in your life to somebody else that may be struggling. And um, I would say that, you know, the teenage and the adolescent years are really, really rough. And um, if I would have had more of a, a mentor figure in my life, you know, maybe that would have, you know, helped me some. And I think that, so I've always sort of kind of gravitated towards being that person, even just somebody that, you know, you know, exists in the world for you, whether you actually communicate that or not is really important. Yeah. Well, there's a saying that if, if there's just one person that thinks you're important, it could change somebody's uh, reality of how they see themselves, what becomes possible. And yeah, beautiful. Okay. So for women, I thought you brought up a really good quote when we spoke last time, and it was a quote by Glennon Doyle. And I wondered if you would speak on this as we yeah. kind of round out our chat here. Yeah, of course. Um, so I found, uh, I just came across a quote the other day and it actually made me stop. And I believe it was from Glennon Doyle's um, more recent memoir, Untamed. Um, and it's about, talks about being a woman. And, and if you ask a woman who she is, she answers by who she loves, who she serves, what she does, um, and not who she is. And I, um, and so we talked, we chatted a little bit about that. And then I, I kind of thought about that even further. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, there are other things and then that you connect to that. And so like, I am a paraplegic, you know, and, and I try not to, I try to say like, I, you know, have a spinal cord injury, I have, I'm not a spinal cord injury. I'm not a paraplegic. And, and so, you know, I think everybody is um, guilty of that, of, of defining themselves through other people or jobs or things. And so the I words think, are powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. Because when you do that, you, I think that you are actually losing your authentic self and, you know, you really need to kind of pull back some of those layers of, of, well, okay, I am a mom. Okay. Well, I am a swim coach. I, but, but who are you? And that's a really tough one. It's a deep question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the quality of questions that we can ask people um, is hugely important. And because if we just stop like at the cocktail party of like, whoa, what do you do? And then that's it. And so then that person almost becomes one dimensional. Like, mm-hmm. and obviously they are more than their job, their their line of work, their craft, their, yeah, their career. Well, and I think that like just the um, premise of your podcast, I think really opens that a little bit talking about your legacy. Yeah. Well, I find it powerful. How often do we ask other people, what would you like your legacy to be? Uh, and sometimes they may be too um, stuck in survival and that, that, that is not even connected to net worth because there could be an affluent individual and they're still in survival mode. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's just a very interesting uh, question, I think, to even um, extend to somebody in that if it becomes an inquiry and maybe they can't answer you that moment, maybe they'll be able to answer you three weeks or three months or three years from now, but it still can plant to see that their legacy matters because that's the underlying um, 
you know, intention behind the question. So speaking of legacies, <laughs> and thank you for bringing up Glennon Doyle, because I think that that was a, um, a very uh, good insight that, especially uh, with women, that we don't have to hide behind, um, you know, who it is we serve, that we're also allowed to, um, you know, shine our light and own our space and own our energy and own what it is that we bring forward and, and to be aware of it, mm-hmm. not to downplay it or diminish it. Okay. So what is the legacy you would like to create and leave behind? You know, and thinking of this, like we had this great conversation, we talked about so many things, and then I went and looked at, at, you know, at my legacy, and it was like, I'm sure you get this all the time, like blank. What is my legacy? Blank. I have, I don't know. You know, I'm just, I'm just surviving. And it's like, no, no, you're not really. And so I will tell you that, like, to sit down and think about that, it took a lot for me to really come up with, like, what do I want my legacy to be? And I think that, um, you know, just kind of reflecting upon the things that I have endured and how I've um, kind of responded to what the world has offered. Um, You know, I think that a sense of strength and bravery is something that I have always sort of um, circled back to. um, And doing that with kindness and compassion. You know, I think that people can be really strong and really brave, but they may do that, um, you know, while hurting others in the process. And, and that's something that I think is really important to me is, is, um, you know, kind of unconditional love as you, you know, seek your best self for others. Um, and just really, I think also like, um, that piece of acceptance that we talked about and humility of just, um, I think I, um, know that sometimes in my life, my struggles have also been my victories, the very same event, the very same thing. And recognizing that and, you know, knowing that my life could be a lesson for somebody else. And I think that that's really powerful and really moving for me. Lovely, lovely. Thank you for, for bringing voice to that. I know it's a deep question and even yeah. just um, owning the space around it is a leap of faith because we didn't grow up necessarily being asked that question, you know, like being in school, you know, there was like the American flag and the globe and we put our, I don't know about your upbringing, like your hand on your heart and you had to say the Pledge of Allegiance. There, so that became like a repetition thing. There was nothing like in, you know, first or second grade or once a year, like when you got your report card, you know, someone would say, little Ryan, what would you like your legacy to be? Like, it just wasn't there. So now as an adult, it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an area of vulnerability. To it even- really is. And I, you know, I would challenge your listeners to think of their answer as well, because I think that, that it really does take some kind of like chipping away for a moment to really even get started with that. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a proactive question in a, in a lifestyle that's mostly reactive. And what I mean by that is we're always reacting to, you know, bills and we have to make dinner and we have to, you know, wash dishes or, or whatever that the thing is. And so it's being able, like you said, to have that, that moment of positive self-talk that says, I can take a moment right now mm-hmm. and give myself uh, time to think about this answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking about thinking about the answer, what values do you get to honor by developing your personal legacy? Oh, well, and I, I just, this was a good one. Cause I just kind of like, like free spirit, free reign of typing. And 
Um, I, I thought kindness and justice, support, unconditional support, courage, humility, acceptance is that huge piece for me again. And then obviously I think everything um, can only happen with true growth and growth. Um, and growth can really only happen when you are reflective on your life and your the instances that have happened in your life that create your values for you. Lovely. Very good. Thank you for thinking about it and, and writing out your answers also. Yeah, yeah. Well, Whoa. thank you for having me think about it because I think that, you know, it's it's something that's probably really underutilized um, by people on a daily basis is thinking about what what values you honor. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's really powerful and it, and it could really be something that helps people kind of move forward on things that are challenging them or even just on a daily basis. Yeah, I think that um, aligning values into actions brings meaning to people's lives if, if they are courageous enough to do it. Absolutely. And yeah. Well, very nice. Um, is there anything else you wanted to share? And then I will close out this uh, podcast. Um, I guess the only thing I would share is that I do have a website to keep track of um, my book coming out and how to okay. purchase it. And so um, it is my full name, ryanrayharbuck.com. Okay. And I will make sure to also add those details in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. Okay. So in closing, I'm Angelina Carlton, the hostess of the Design Your Legacy podcast, as well as the founder to Legacy Planning, a boutique coaching and advisory firm based out of Beverly Hills, California, but international in those I coach. I hope to dive deep into subjects that can help a person define, develop, and execute their legacy and continue to scour the landscape for those who can be great resources to every dimension of your legacy. For many listeners, there can be never enough education and preparation in their moat around their castle. Whether you find yourself with new wealth or generational wealth, may the content of this channel be an anchor in the storms ahead. We do our best to provide original content, content for your intellectual and emotional curiosity. Thank you for joining us today. And remember, I coach people on the subject of personal legacies. Of course, please do your own due diligence as some areas may be black and white, while others are gray in nature in the changing landscape. And again, I hope you find these podcast interviews entertaining in their education. Um, we thank you for joining today. And thank you, Ryan. Oh, thank you so much.